if you uh, if you've been here for the last couple weeks, or if you haven't been here for the last last couple weeks, um, we've been going through a sermon series uh, based on a book called Streams of Living Water. Uh, it's by a guy named Richard Foster, and it's, it's kind of an older book, about 25 years old, but but I think it's got a lot to offer us today. Anyway, the basic idea uh, behind this book, I'm a little bit too much right here. Can I turn me down just a little bit? <clears throat> the basic idea behind this book is there's is basically that there's six streams or six historical uh, traditions within within Christianity, and we kind of break down these streams and we and we, and we talk about them and and and, and what and what we're doing is um trying to apply them to our lives. Most churches, most denominations, most uh, most church movements historically have generally emphasized one of these particular streams over the others uh, in regard to how they live out their faith and how they live out their practice. So kind of what we're doing in this series is familiarizing ourselves with all of these streams and uh, maybe seeing how we might begin or might, maybe we can begin incorporating some of those into our own walk of Christ. In other words, it's kind of about getting out of our comfort zone. It's kind of about experiencing some things maybe we haven't ever experienced before. A lot of us have been, well, a lot, a lot, I know a lot of people who, 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 were, who were born into one church and they never, they never went to another church. I know there's, there's a number of folks here, here in our congregation that, that have. Y'all, y'all have kind of gone from one church to the other and uh, you, you, you've had, um, you've had um, experiences with various different denominations and all that. Um, so what we want to do it, uh, through, this, through this brief series is go back and just kind of look at everything that's really existed uh, throughout Christian history. Again, most churches, most denominations, most movements have, uh, have emphasized one of these particular traditions or one of these particular streams, not necessarily to the exclusion of the others, although, although sometimes that does happen, but uh, uh, in favor of the others, uh, basically. So we just want to learn more about these and see how we might be able to incorporate those into our lives. So last week we talked about the contemplative tradition, and we also talked about the holiness tradition. And um, oh yeah, there we go. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> we talked about the contemplative tradition and the holiness tradition together. I realized that I went for about forty or forty-five minutes uh, last Sunday, so I made, made the decision for your benefit uh, to give you just one tradition today. Uh, but if you haven't had a chance to listen to that sermon or, or, uh, or, or watch it, I, I do encourage you to go back and, and kind of get an idea of what we're talking about when we, when we use these terms, contemplative and holiness. Uh, so the tradition that we're going to talk about today, as you can probably see, probably figure out uh, by looking up there on the, uh, on the screen, is what's called the charismatic tradition or the charismatic stream. And I've got to tell you, you know, I really, I really struggled putting this sermon together because there's, a, there's so much that I want to talk about. There's, there's so much that I can touch on um, when it comes to the charismatic stream of Christianity, so much that I want to inform people of. Because this, let's just be honest, this is one of these that probably a lot of us have not had that much exposure to, right? Not a whole lot. We've got, we've got certain ideas about what this thing is all about and, and certain things that we maybe have seen on television and all that. But there's a really a richness to this stream, and it's a very, very historical stream uh, within the church. And uh, there was just so much that I wanted to talk about, but I, but I can only talk about so much in the, in the time allotted. Um, so I'm trying to give you the kind of, I'll kind of give you the best, the best of, I guess. Um, you know, I like to joke with you guys. I've, said, I've made this comment several times that, you know, this is the stream of Christianity that scares the heck out of Methodists. And um, really, most people who haven't, who've never had any real deep involvement with that particular movement. Uh, but in all honesty, I think the charismatic stream, the Pentecostal stream, has gotten a kind of a bad rap probably for a number of reasons, uh, mostly due to over-sensationalism, I think. 
and also there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of hysteria that we see on television. Understand this, folks. There are crazy people everywhere. Amen. There are crazy Baptists, there are crazy Methodists, and there are crazy Charismatics and Pentecostals. But what I'm getting at is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay? Don't judge this entire movement based on a few nut jobs that you might see on television and a bad impression that you've gotten um, uh, uh, because of this tradition or with this tradition. Please don't do that. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, bath you know, one of, the, one of the biggest complaints that you get about Christianity and, and about the church in general from, from non-Christians, I, I used to say this uh, from, from former, former Christians, you know, when I left the church, before I came back to the church, but one of the biggest complaints that you get is, golly, the reason I don't go to church is because those people that, that, that call themselves Christians don't look anything like Jesus, right? That's one of the biggest complaints that we get, that we're a bunch of hypocrites and we don't look anything like Jesus. Biggest complaint uh, <clears throat> about why people don't join Christianity. Here's the thing. Just like we can't judge Christianity, we can't judge Christ uh, because of the people that claim to follow him, we can't do that. We can't judge Jesus based on imperfect people who, are, who, who can't fully follow him. So that's just, that's just a bad rationale for folks to start off with. But just like we can't do that, just like we can't judge Jesus or Christianity based on those who claim to follow him, we also can't judge the legitimacy, the vitality, or the trueness of the charismatic stream or any of these other streams that we're going to talk about based on a few people and based on a few movements that are on the fringes that just happen to be the loudest or have the biggest media presence. Again, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Give it a chance. But here's the basic definition of the uh, charismatic tradition that, I've, that I gave to you guys the first week. We'll go over it real quick again. <clears throat> so flowing. This is all about the Holy Spirit, y'all. Remember that I told you the first week, this is the one movement, the one tradition that really, really, really emphasizes the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, all of us claim, we, 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 we mention it when we, when we recite the Apostles' Creed, all Christians across the board claim this belief in what we call the Holy Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, but really, let's be honest, when we go to church, most of us, most preachers, when you hear them talk or preach or teach or whatever, we talk about God a lot and we talk about Jesus a lot. Yeah, Holy Spirit is not so much, you know. We kind of we kind of put the Holy Spirit kind of kind of off to the side a lot. He doesn't he doesn't get that much airtime as the, as the uh, two other aspects of the Trinity. So this is the one that does. This is the one that really really emphasizes the presence, the power, the uh, the gifts, the uh, um, the uh, guidance of the Holy Spirit. So flowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. This stream reminds us of the dynamic and the miraculous aspects of the Christian faith. It encourages us to seek the gifts of the Spirit, such as healing, prophecy, speaking in tongues, as a means of experiencing God's supernatural presence. Now you, got, you see that I've got that underlined and, and italicized. That's what it boils down to. That's the whole foundation of this whole, of this whole stream, this whole tradition. Experiencing God's supernatural presence. Now don't get me wrong, folks. Uh, our, our Methodist theology, we, 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 we use reason and, and we use uh, our intellects and we use, we use uh, the history and the traditions of the church. We use the Bible to form our theology, all that stuff. But I all, it, 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 And reason is a good thing. You know, knowledge is a good thing. But we can get to the point where we push the Holy Spirit out. We push the supernatural out and we just make it kind of about us. We try to figure out how to operate in the world without really any power whatsoever, without any supernatural guidance whatsoever. 
And that's, that's, that, that, that's, that's, that's a wrong path to take. That's, 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 a, that's just a, a wrong, a wrong uh, way of seeking Christianity and, see, and living out our faith. We can't do that, really. It's, it's, it's really impossible when we try to live out our, our personal lives, our church lives, our family lives, uh, whatever, through our own means and through our own abilities. We, we can't do that without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what this movement is all about, God's supernatural presence. And uh, firstly, I want you to understand this. This isn't something new. If, if, y'all, if y'all think this is a relatively new uh, phenomenon, it's not. It's existed for a very, very, very long time. Um, take a look at this scripture uh, out of the book of Acts, Acts 2. It's also in your um, bulletin there if you want to read it from there. But it's just two little verses in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, 17 and 18. <clears throat> And it reads this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Holy Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Again, that's the word of God for the people of God. Now let me tell you where this comes from. Actually, this... These verses that we read today that we just read out of the book of Acts is actually a quote from the prophetic book of Joel, which is in the Old Testament. The author of Joel penned these exact words in anticipation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So what's going on here in this scene in Acts is the Holy Spirit is being poured out centuries later, centuries after the author of Joel wrote these very words. This is it. This is the event. This is this is this is what's happening right here in the book in the book of Acts. Uh, Jesus has already he's, he's already um, he's already been crucified. He's already been resurrected. He's already ascended to the right hand of the Father. And a couple of days later, what happens is uh, this event that we now refer to as the Day of Pentecost comes. Not too long after Jesus ascends, and people are filled with the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in different languages. And it's just really this, this incredible scene in the Bible. Uh, so what happens is some of the people who are uh, observing this or witnessing this, they start accusing these folks uh, that, are, that are being filled with the Spirit of being drunk, right? So, uh, yeah, I've had that accusation too. So, um, so Peter, the Apostle Peter, gets up and he addresses this accusation that these folks are drunk. He says, first of all, these, these guys aren't drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, now I guess that don't exclude everybody, but for most folks, it's gonna be you're not gonna be drinking at nine o'clock in the morning. Um, so he says, "No, these guys, these folks are not drunk. Here's what's going on," and he points them back to the prophet Joel from the Old Testament, and he quotes these words from the prophet Joel. This is it. This is what happened. This is what's going down. Uh, that was predicted centuries, centuries beforehand. So understand, this is not something new. This charismatic stream, this, this, this Pentecostal presence is not something new within the Christian tradition at all. Uh, the, it's existed for a very long time. Think back to Jesus, for goodness sake. Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit. He would have been considered within the charismatic stream. He's the ultimate charismatic man. He, did, he, did, he raised people from the dead, for goodness sakes. Then you consider these early Christians here that are experiencing this. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they start, they start displaying these, 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 uh, these miraculous gifts of speaking in tongues, healing, etc., etc. Think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul would have been in the charismatic stream. One of the things that he wrote about so, so very much were the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Not just the regular, what we call the regular gifts, but the miraculous gifts, healing, prophecy, uh, 
speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. Paul was definitely involved in this charismatic stream of Christianity. Now, there are those who will sometimes argue with you that these gifts, that these miraculous gifts no longer exist. Um, those people would be wrong. <laughs> Y'all can laugh. Don't laugh, whatever. You know, Jerry, you're not funny. Um, so, yeah, there, there are some folks or some the theologies out there would say the, in the, uh, the technical word for this are, is cessationist. They, are called, they call themselves cessationists. They say these gifts don't, uh, don't, do not, do not occur anymore. They're, they're no longer relevant. Um, funny thing about that is, funny thing about that belief is, generally folks who claim that are really, really big on more literal interpretations of the Bible, and there is nowhere in the Bible that says these gifts have stopped. Somebody tell me if I'm wrong. Daryl, I'm wrong. There is nowhere in the Bible that tells us that these gifts have ceased. Wesley believed, John Wesley did, was, was he, even though he never claimed to have had some of these miraculous gifts, he believed wholeheartedly in the charismatic experience and the charismatic uh, um, gifts. He observed them. That's, that's one of the things that, that made the Methodist movement grow so like, like crazy like it did. Um, was this presence of, of, of the Holy Spirit. You go back and read about these, about these, these revival systems and, and uh, meetings and everything, and, and he witnessed this stuff. You know, he, he witnessed people literally falling down from the presence of God and, and uh, being restored. You know, I don't know what else you call that, but a supernatural experience. So that, that got me way off stream, way off streak. I wasn't even, that wasn't even in my notes. But uh, as most of you know, you know, one of the key aspects of this whole charismatic movement is on this, these gifts of the Spirit that Paul kind of highlights in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm not going to read all that to you. Feel free to go back when you get a chance and, and read through these, uh, these gifts that Paul talks about in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, but again, they include stuff like prophecy, healing, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. Um, but they're basically evidence of God's active involvement in our life, just as any other spiritual gift is. And, and I'll mention those to you in a second. I have a couple of those in a, in a second. Things like, you know, preaching teaching, wisdom, evangelism, giving, helping, uh, compassion, caring. All of these are spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit that are mentioned in Scripture. And every one of us is endowed with, with one or more at least. Most of us have more. Most of us have been granted more. Probably got one or two that really stands out. Um, but these are all gifts of the Spirit. These are the things you know that, that, that don't even necessarily come naturally to us. They're given to us by God. They're given to us through the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Some people are very much endowed with these miraculous gifts. Okay? Some, I was, I was going to talk about some. See, 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 there's so much information going through my mind right now. I can't, I, I, my, it won't, my mouth won't keep up with it. Uh, but they're just like any, any other spiritual gifts, folks. And it, it's remember, it, what's important to remember is these gifts are not about us. These gifts are not about us. And that's, and that's one of the dangers that you fall into uh, in this particular tradition. We've got to remember that with just with any gifts, whether it's preaching, teaching, evangelism, service, caring, uh, wisdom, all of these are for the use of God's church. They're not, they're, not, they're not about us. They're not for our personal glorification. They're for the edification of the church, and they're for the advancement of, of God's kingdom. So when we embrace those things, when we embrace those gifts with humility, with discernment, you know, we really allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us and uh, help us to, helping us to transform not only our lives but the lives of those around us. Also very, very common in the charismatic stream is a deep sense of worship uh, that is both spiritually rich and very, very authentic. Over in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus says these words. He teaches that 
uh, worshipers, true worshipers, worship in spirit and in truth. So the charismatic tradition heavily, heavily encourages a worship experience that's characterized by an intimate connection with God and that, uh, that's characterized by, by allowing the Holy Spirit to move freely in our gathering. Y'all know that 99% of, the, 99 of Sundays, when I say that first prayer in the morning, I say something to the effect of God, we open up ourselves to our presence, give us minds, hearts uh, that are open, open to your movement as we worship together this morning. Don't I say that pretty much every Sunday or something to that effect? Yeah, because I want that to happen, y'all. And, I, you know, I, I'm not talking about a forced worship. I'm not, I don't, I, I don't, when I'm out here with you guys... When I am out here with you guys, I am not a hand raiser, all right? I, 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 I just, I'm just not. It's my introverted nature. Now, I can stand up there and talk to you for an hour and a half. Spiritual gift. Standing out here in the congregation, I am not, I'm not a hand raiser. I'm certainly not a dancer. It's just, it's just not in me. I can't do that. That's not how I worship. Different people worship different ways, right? So I'm probably standing here with my hands in my pockets, but, but I'm still worshiping God in my heart, I promise you. Okay, so don't think for a second that I don't don't think for a second that I'm encouraging you guys to start running down the aisles and uh, that you have to raise your hands or, or do certain gestures during the worship service. What I am what I am um, um, saying and what I am encouraging you to do is take is, is is take a hint from this movement, take a hint from this uh, this tradition, and learn to worship authentically. Learn to worship authentically, not not forced. I'm not trying to force you guys to do anything that, that, that's not comfortable to you at all. But when we come together as the body of Christ on, on Sunday mornings or whenever we come together as the body of Christ to worship God, it should be an authentic experience. It should be an intimate experience with our Creator. It should be an intimate experience with our brothers and our sisters that are sitting in the pews. Our hearts should be open to the presence of God, and, and we should be able to feel this energy. There's been times. There's been times here at Bemis where we've all felt that energy, right? I've experienced it here since I've been with you guys when we worship together. It's like, it's like everybody in here is in sync, right? Everybody in here is kind of on the same page when those things happen. And you just, you just experience it, man. It's, it's an undeniable feeling. It's an undeniable knowledge of the presence of God. So, yeah, take a cue from this. You know, if, you, if you're not a hand raiser, that's fine. That's cool, whatever. Whatever you're comfortable doing. Make it authentic, though. Make it authentic. Be authentic in your worship. Let it, allow it. Allow it to be that intimate Spirit, that intimate relationship with each other and with God as we come together and worship God together. I've always thought, you know, that the, um, we talked about the contemplative stream last week, and I've, and I've always thought that there was a lot of similarities between the contemplative stream and the charismatic stream. Now, if y'all were here when we talked about that, those may seem like complete and total opposites, and in the way that they're lived out or the way that they're practiced, I guess to some degree that could be true. But they both involve a very deep connection. They both involve a very deep intimacy, and they both involve a very deep experience with God. And they're both streams that are absolutely saturated in a vibrant life of prayer. You know, in the contemplative uh, 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 tradition, we talked about silent prayer. We talked about meditation. We talked about more, more or less learning to be still. And, and listening to God, those types of things. So in that tradition, the prayer, prayer life is more of a, is more of a, uh, a stillness, a stillness before God. Same thing here, it's just expressed a little bit differently in, in, the, uh, in the charismatic stream. If we read a little bit beyond um, 
verse 17 and 18 today in chapter 2 of Acts, uh, we would see that the early believers devoted themselves to prayer, particularly praying together. And that's a major part of the charismatic stream is praying together. I know that we like to, we like to pray personally. We like we like we uh, go into your prayer closet and all that stuff. That's fine. That's that's uh, there's there's a place for that, and I encourage that all day long. I do it myself. You know, of course I pray by myself. But there's also something very very intimate and very very special about praying with and for each other. And y'all know that I've emphasized that and talked about that since since day one being here at Bemis. I cannot encourage that enough for us to pray together. All of this stuff that we're doing, all of these, and they're wonderful ministries. I love the ministries that we do here. That's wonderful. But if they're not saturated in prayer, we're just doing them for nothing. Everything starts with prayer. See, we want to use prayer as a last resource. After we do our thing, we'll, then we'll pray about it. No, 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 no. Prayer is the first place we go before anything. Because if this thing ain't being led by the Holy Spirit, if you, and I'm talking about your personal life, I'm talking about your church life, I'm talking about your work life, your school life, whatever. If it ain't being led by the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, you know, we're, just wasting, we're kind of wasting our time. We're kind of wasting our time. Praying together was a major part of the first church. It's a major part of the charismatic movement. Um, I'll talk about that a little more in just a, just a second. This devotion to each other, this devotion to uh, pray to one another is, is a hallmark of that movement. Uh, we open ourselves to God's healing when we do that. We invite the Holy Spirit to guide us, to empower us, to intercede on our behalf and on the behalf of other people. And it really encourages fostering that deeper intimacy with God and with a greater you know, sensitivity to His voice. It's not about just tongues, <laughs> and I know people get hung up on this stuff. It's not about just hearing people talk in tongues. It's not about just prophecy and, and healing and all that stuff. It's, uh, and it's not just about enthusiastic worship. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's about acknowledging and responding to the Spirit of God in every moment of our lives. This stream challenges us to take that transformative power beyond the church walls and into the world with us. The Spirit's presence doesn't stop here at the church doors. It's always He's always with us, always guiding us, always leading us, always prompting us in whatever direction. It is truly, He is truly a source of authentic power. Now, what was I talking about when I said I was going to come back and talk about this? <laughs> yes, prayer. Um, so let me just give you a little bit of a personal experience, and, and this is this is totally off the cuff, man. Um, <coughs> this is more stuff that I wanted to include, but didn't write it down because I just you know out of out of concern for time. Um, but but yes, a lot of y'all know that I've got me and Sandy and Parker. We've got, we've got a, a, some personal experience in this in the charismatic movement. Uh, we were we were we were Pentecostals, brother, um, for for two years. We were we were the, in a Pentecostal denomination, and you know, just like a lot of you folks, I'm sure, and uh, a lot of other folks out there. I swore to God I would never ever darken the doors of one of those crazy churches. But God's got a sense of humor, and God has a he's had a way of of, uh, of of bringing us down and showing us humility. 
and I, and I, and we did, you know, and we spent we spent two years in that in that particular denomination, and I absolutely fell in love with it. Absolutely fell in love with it. Is there over over sensationalism sometimes? Absolutely, absolutely. Any Pentecostal preacher, any it's worth their it's worth their weight, worth their salt. We'll tell you. Um, is that an expression? I see you looking at me funny like that. Y'all know y'all know what I'm talking about. My biggest critic up here. Um, <clears throat> you know they'll, they'll, they'll acknowledge that. They'll acknowledge. Yeah, some people take it overboard. Some you know, whatever. It does it does not dismiss the authenticity of the of the of the, of the stream of the tradition, whatever. There's people who overdo it in the Methodist Church and whatever thing it is they're overdoing. All of us, all we're just people. Um, but I fell in love with it for a couple reasons. Again, you know, I'm not an enthusiastic worshiper. I never got. I guess there were several a number several times when I might have gotten out of my comfort zone um, in those in those experiences as far as worship goes. But it was always authentic worship for one thing, and and I just really loved that. And I really really fell in love uh, with with the, with this whole experience of being together and 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 a group of people that you just knew were enthused, were were excited to be in church, and were excited to be worshiping together. However, that worship occurred. Uh, so that was just, that was so cool. The other thing was prayer, though. The other thing was Christian prayer. And I'm just going to be honest with you folks. I love you. I love you to death. This is not a criticism whatsoever in any way, shape, or form. But in the Methodist church, I have found that we are not comfortable praying with other people. Y'all agree with that? We are, in general, we are not comfortable praying with other people. We're not even comfortable praying with people that we've sat next to for 20 years in the same church building. I don't really get that now. I guess, and I'm, y'all know I'm the biggest introvert in the world, but, uh, but that's hard for me since being, since being part of that particular tradition and, and now having this in the Methodist church, which I've been in for years, and y'all know that I love the Methodist church. Um, it's just two different worlds, and it's so strange to me how awkward everybody feels and how, 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 how uh, uneasy it, uh, people feel simply praying for somebody else. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do as the community of Christ. Y'all know that I love quoting that verse out of James. It talks about praying together. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. And that's a major part of that tradition, a major, major part. There was not, there would not be, we, we used to go to Monday night, Monday night prayer meetings, unlike anything you'll ever experience. This is, this is when the falling out and the, uh, the speaking in tongues happens. Uh, but it's just, but it was, it was so genuine. It was so genuine when that pastor put his hands on me and prayed over me. I knew that that pastor felt and believed and, and meant every single word that came out of his mouth. And I knew that when my brothers and sisters from that congregation came up to me and they put my hand, their hands on me, I've told you, man, there is something, something, something about just laying your hands on somebody and praying with them and praying over them. There's nothing like that. There is nothing in, is there, Tony Mallory? Like There's nothing like praying with another brother or sister or another group of brothers or sisters. So if, I, if you get nothing out of everything that I say today, consider this, y'all. Consider this. Consider expanding your prayer life with your brothers and your sisters. There's nothing like it. There's absolutely nothing like it. I'm, I'm almost done, y'all. I promise. I promise. I promise. Remember this, remember prayer, and remember that it's all about experiencing God's supernatural presence. We are a supernatural religion, folks. 
if we take out the supernatural aspect of our religion, we might as well go home and, and, be, and be with everybody else. Without the supernatural, Christianity is nothing. We worship a God who literally was raised from the dead, for goodness sakes. This is a supernatural religion. We are called to supernatural ministry, supernatural lifestyles. And this is where it begins. I can't give you a practice, unlike the holiness tradition, unlike the contemplative tradition, unlike the social justice tradition that we're going to talk about next week, all these others, where I'm going to give you a couple of ideas of how you might go home and practice these things. There is not a single thing that I can tell you to go home and do insofar as a practice or a spiritual discipline when it comes to charismatic tradition. All I can tell you is open yourselves up to the possibilities. That's all that I can tell you. You want to talk about faith, this is faith. This is what faith looks like. You want to see some of the most faithful people in the world that you'll ever meet? Go down to a Pentecostal or charismatic church. Do y'all know? Do y'all, we all know. We all know that Christianity is failing and floundering in the United States. Everybody knows that. It's been like that for decades. Absolute decades. Y'all know where it's flourishing? South America. Asia. You know what tradition it's flourishing in? The charismatic and the Pentecostal tradition. It is growing by leaps and bounds. It is growing like crazy. This is just my opinion. I'm not God. This is my opinion. I believe those folks have genuine faith. I believe those folks believe everything that they say that they believe. I believe they have authentic faith. Do we believe in the supernatural? Do we believe in the supernatural, or is it just a bunch of lip service? Do we believe in an all-powerful God that can accomplish anything? I told Daryl Wood this past, this past uh, week, you will never, ever, ever, ever convince me that he was not miraculously healed by the power of prayer in this past year. I have known other people who have had cancer who I've laid my hands on. It ain't me. I have no power whatsoever. People that me and Sandy have prayed over who have been healed of cancer, you'll never convince me that they weren't healed through the power of prayer. Ever. Are all of us going to die? Yeah, all of us are going to die at some point. That don't mean that God ain't still in the healing business. God's still in the healing business. He's still in the prophetic business. He's still in the supernatural business. Don't close your minds and your hearts off to the supernatural aspect of our Christian tradition. Y'all pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, God, so much for uh, the Holy Spirit who guides us, who inspires us, who leads us, who empowers us to carry out your mission and your purpose. We ask you, Lord, to give us the faith of a child. Give us the faith of children, Lord, so that we can truly open up ourselves to the reality of all that you have to offer, to the reality of the supernatural world, God, that, you, that you've created and the supernatural presence of the Spirit who resides in us. May we authentically follow that Spirit, God, for your glory, for the good of every life that we might touch. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.